0: Blog Talk Radio. Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host Shaw McCain.
1: Hi everybody, I'm your host Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We're proud to say we're translating to many different languages for our listeners outside the country. The call in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and the Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, during this show, you can take questions and chat. You know, as, they, as you guys pose the questions, I'll answer them. And we also will take your questions in order on the phone. And please play nice, because any buzz killers will be kicked out, because I don't want any problems anyway have some good questions for us. Any, um, I have a copy of your phone number and all that, so I'll call you back and bug you. So that's enough of the threats. Just let's get on here. Anyway, I also want to say sorry about that delay. I don't understand why it delayed, but sorry about that, people, for the intro. Anyway, um, I just have a couple of announcements before we get our awesome guest on tonight. Um, I just have to tell you uh, once again about Marilyn Salis's beautiful new creation. It's called Love's Blessing. She has 26 different essential oils that she has actually blessed and picked her own, and it smells to me like incense. And she says it's healing and comforting, and I do find that. So And so I use that every morning. And uh, Love's Blessing is a meditation and healing mist, and it's for calming and relaxation. And you can order direct from Marilyn Salas and she also has a, is a counselor and a healer. And you can reach her at L-O-V-E-S, blessing. Dot com. And I just want to tell you about a support group that I belong to personally. CERO International is an organization that supports CSO experiencers and gathers together experts from around the world for presentations. Yvonne Smith is a licensed hypnotherapist in North Los Angeles area, and she also is available in Huntington Beach office. And you can contact her if you need support for past life regression, PTSD, things like that, uh, or just to... Uh, answer questions, join the support group for UFO experiences. Anyway, you can reach here at www.crointernational.com for in, in additional information and help. And then I have two cousins out there in Texas These are Texas Ghost Tours, and they give you a walking tour in Galveston, Texas. It's Chris and Tracy Simpsons, my blood relatives, and they are also our tour guides and mediums. And if you want to get a hold of them, and if you're not in Texas uh, and you're going to plan on a trip there, just give them a call, 713-562-0429. Or you can go straight to their website, www.texas-ghost-tours.com. Anyway, you know, I have an awesome guest on here tonight, and I consider him a renaissance man, um, very intelligent, uh he has uh, led as a guest lecturer for many, many uh, events and uh, conferences, and uh, he's also an ex- expert lecturer and author. And uh, I'm going to read you a little bit of his bio. He was born in New York City and studied art, design, and theater at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, receiving his BFA that's in Painting Film History, from the School of Visual Arts in New York. He taught painting there for more than a dozen years and was a member of the Art faculties, uh, Facilities faculties, of St. Ann's School in Brooklyn Heights and the Oklahoma Council of the Arts and Arts Encounters Program. He's also a studio assistant to the Abstract Expressionist Painter, Adolf Gottlieb, and, the American, and to the American Primitive Painter, William Copley. And they are awesome artists, and uh, it's really must have been an awesome experience. And anyway, he worked off-broadway here for many years, primarily as house manager of New York City's Distinguished Mirror Repertory Company. He has traveled in approximately 30 countries and is an experienced New York City tour guide and accomplished photographer. I've seen some of his work. He's also a co-author, along with Larry Warren, of the highly acclaimed British bestseller, Left at Eastgate. A first-hand account of the Rendition Forest, uh, the you, you know, United For- Air Force incident, and it's to cover up an investigation. I'm all on tongue-tied tonight, so I'm going to get Peter on before I say anything worse. Welcome, Peter, to you're Live with the Paranormal and the Sacred.
2: Hi, Char. It's great to be back. Hello.
1: I'm so <laughs> happy to have you back, because I know <laughs> it's been over a year, but I, but I yeah. follow you wherever you go, and... Um, <laughs> You have so many uh, wonderful accomplishments, and how did you get into this whole UFO thing?
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, <clears throat> well, um, it happened, I, I'm tempted to say overnight, but it happened a great deal quicker than that. When I was um, in my later 20s and beginning uh, my very serious career as a uh, gallery painter in New York City, um a memory from childhood um, came roaring back at a very specific moment, and it was of a profoundly clear daylight UFO sighting that I had had as a kid with my sister Helen growing up on Long Island uh, um, when, well, I was about 14 and she was 12. And um, the memory was so um, overwhelming to me, the reality of it, when it happened um that it became my truly repressed memory from childhood, although I'm tempted to joke that if there are other repressed memories, I don't remember them. Um, yeah. But I, I was full-blown adolescence, uh, nerdy enough, and not desiring to draw attention to myself from saying I saw flying saucers in the sky. Um, I think I I simply must have innately understood the ridicule factor. It was alive and well then as it is now. And in the way that human beings can do it, I managed to push that memory down to such a degree that within probably a week and a half, two weeks, I had made myself forget it and the years started to roll by. And nothing um, triggered it until... Uh, Over 14 years later, when a series of events brought it right to the fore, and uh, after dealing with it on my own, um, I called my sister that afternoon, told her that I'd had a memory come back from childhood, but that I felt um, if I shared it with her, she would either say, yeah, I remember that too, or I don't, but I'd never know in my heart have a closer idea to what she really remembered, and I made a point of saying, let me set this up, and I told her what the weather was like that day um, where we were playing relative to uh, the front of the house, and she stopped me mid-sentence and just said, stop, I know what you're talking about, and Charlene, she um, basically told me what I remembered, that we had not spoken about, being a particularly close brother and sister, I should say, for all those years and um, I had the most interesting reaction um, I'd have to call it a very schizophrenic reaction it kind of went oh my god it's real and you know they were there and oh my god it's real and they were there and yeah um, in that series of moments um, I thought well that's it this is amazing and gosh wasn't that interesting and then she said, but there's more, and went on to describe to me, and this is now 40 years ago, um, time was unlike anything I had ever heard of or about uh, in my life, and now I've heard the same story countless hundreds of times from people all over the world, and it's been recorded more times than I, I can imagine, uh, but they were archetypical memories of being aboard, Um some craft of undetermined origin with non-human beings. And um, that afternoon I became obsessed with this subject and started to uh, have it run kind of my life in a quiet way. I started to read about it, acquire books, uh, learn what I could, uh, continued to paint and teach painting, but with great resentment. I I realized that the heart had gone out of it for me. There was now something more important uh, that I was confronting, and I didn't like it. And um, I thought, well, I'll stop painting for a while and and study this. And uh, here I am all these years later. Uh, That is the fairly long answer to your very short question.
1: No, this is amazing because I wasn't uh, really aware or didn't remember that your sister also saw that. So, um, what did, what did it look like, and what did you experience?
2: Oh, very simple. Um, we were playing out on the front lawn of the house that we grow up grew up in in uh, Long Island. Uh, it was a perfectly beautiful late spring or early uh, summer morning. I believe in June. And there was not a cloud in the sky, and I caught something, some movement out of my right peripheral vision, and looked up in time to see five silvery white disc-shaped objects uh, looking as though you took uh, dinner plates and held them at an angle so they were elliptical, coming in at a high rate of speed from the right and stopping over the neighbor's house. Um... They were in a very precise kind of checkmark, uh, V formation, um, like military planes fly, except that it was completely clear to both of us that they were disc-shaped. They were metallic. They had no appendages whatsoever. And they were close enough that we could both make out unaided um, regular detailing around the edge of which that years later when we first really talked about it, we both immediately agreed we could only think of in terms of as uh, windows. And um, that day, all those years ago, not the day it happened, but that day 14 years after, um, in the mid-70s, totally derailed my career plans (laughs) and um, set me on the path that uh, I've been on to a great degree ever since, although I've uh, worked at different things, have lots of interests, uh, Mm -hmm. consider myself a fairly well-rounded person. But this obsession continues to dog me, and um, I see myself over the years as having become an educator in it and assisting other people in trying to uh, wrap their head around what we're facing here.
1: Yeah, because you've all give very uh um uh interesting lectures and uh you you're very solid about this, like you have given a a lot of thought and yeah. um and but you're an experiencer too so i, I appreciate uh your uh, maturity in the matter and also mm-hmm. you know how you're you're learned it and um you've written a book uh a, Along with uh, Larry Warren, the police case about an incident uh, that—that was another phenomena, and uh, about you being an experiencer. You know, it's hard because I'm an experiencer, and and it's uh, hard to um, operate in the world as yourself when you're living really two different lives.
2: Mm -hmm. Well said. Or
1: three or four.
2: Yeah, my experience was seeing these things and just being overwhelmed by what they represented. And then years later, in fact, with Larry Warren on our very first of many visits to England to research the Rendlesham Forest incident and write our book um, together and separately on our visits, uh, we had a multiple UFO sighting not six miles from the side of the events that he was involved in at the time 8 years uh and uh, 2 months earlier now it's almost 29 years since uh now it's um, well 29 years since we actually shook hands and started to work together on a book I thought would take a year and a half uh and you know be done with and move on to the next case how wrong we can be
1: yeah because it's turned into a thing <laughs> it's uh
2: yeah. It's uh
1: it's very <laughs> it's very uh uh it's very strange how it's developed because um the way that it used to be portrayed is that we'd all be wearing foil hats. Well, you know, most of us don't. Um we we're actually attending conferences and lectures and things like that, like grown ups and uh it's it's really uh I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that uh anybody's doing anything in this field because there's still so much ridicule, but I have a feeling that I think most of us are feeling the same way. That something is going to break pretty soon. Like this yeah, may be well, the I, year of... Know, I go ahead.
2: We, we certainly have colleagues who are very involved in what's become known as the disclosure movement, and I, I salute all of them, although um, going up against the extraordinary secret-keeping machine that is uh, post-war America on this subject um, is like attacking a tank with spiderwebs. I don't know if we will ever be successful in wrenching these secrets loose from our government, but they will come loose, I am convinced, one way or another, with the passage of time. Um, In the case of the Rendlesham Forest incident, It is certainly, uh, I think most people that study this phenomenon seriously or who follow it would agree it is one of the most important UFO events of all time. It's also one of the best documented. And if there were a case, uh, and in this case it's a very specifically military-involved UFO series of encounters we're talking about here, that one could break this whole story open with, if you could take such a case into our courts um, the Rendlesham case would certainly um, be the one to have the very best chance extraordinary availability of witnesses who could be subpoenaed uh, men and women to a lesser degree who were involved at any number of levels or were witness and we are of course talking about a series of events occurring over three consecutive nights In and around the Rendlesham Forest, where the bases involved were in uh, Suffolk, England, in December of
1: 1980. Yes, and what happened? Tell them the story about what happened, because you know it best. There was a sighting, but all the military saw it, and then somebody in particular actually touched it.
2: Well, again, we're dealing with a series of events involving different personnel in different locations in the same general area over three separate nights, which makes it somewhat confusing for entry-level folks anyway. Um, To compress it, uh, on the first night, unknown flying objects were observed um, over the area, over the nuclear weapons storage area um, at RAF Bentwaters at a time and this may well still be the case when, by virtue of our treaty with the United Kingdom, we, the United States, was not supposed to have any nuclear weaponry in the U.K. And, in fact, our largest backline of nuclear ordnance was held at RAF Bentwaters. Um, also, on the first night, a law enforcement cop named John Burroughs, an airman first class, observed a light go down into the woods He was posted at the time um, uh, um, security at the main gate of the sister base, RAF uh, Woodbridge, about five or six miles away, uh, radioed in to uh, get permission to investigate. There was no sense um, that John or anyone else has communicated that it was a crash. There was no ground concussion, no explosion, no fire, nothing like that. It was, however, uh, a very sensitive military area at a very uh, tense moment in the Cold War, and, of course, it had to be investigated. Um, shortly thereafter, Sergeant uh, Jim Penniston, a uh, security police officer and uh, a driver, um, um, uh, Ed Kavanisak, picked up John Burroughs, and Kavanisak drove Burroughs and Penniston into the woods as close as they could get to the area. When the two disembarked from the vehicle and started to walk toward the object, and this is all told much better in their words in the book that they co-wrote last year with Nick Pope, Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. Um, they experienced a very powerful electromagnetic uh, feeling in the air. They observed a machine under in on, seemingly under intelligent control. Uh, just moving around the woods at about chest height, fairly small and compact. Um, Pennison remembers touching it. Uh, Burroughs does not remember him doing that. Um, Jim has maintained since he went public with this story five years ago that um, the intelligences behind the event were time travelers from our future who gave him a highly specific message to share with humanity, I feel that, in fact, he was simply made to believe that, and that uh, it was us that put that into his head to throw attention and and take uh, a serious focus off of uh, the highly scientific evidences and other testimonies. But um, that was the main event uh, of the the
1: military. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Okay, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Um, the second night activity was again observed in and around the area. Some of these things touched down. They made impressions in the soil where they did touch uh, organic materials, soil or the sides of trees. Bark was ripped off. Background beta and gamma uh, radiation signatures were in extent of more than 10 times what they were in the natural area around it. It's still minuscule, but noticeable. Um, it all culminated on the third night where there were two major events, the uh, sighting of the deputy base commander Charles Halt and a small contingent of men observing one of these machines seemingly fly over them and shine a beam of light down to the ground very close to where they stood, as it did. And then some time later, in the farmer's field adjacent to that part of the forest, Larry Warren, Sergeant Adrian Bastinza and several dozen other men uh, actually confronted a craft on the ground and several intelligences that we will associate with the craft. Uh, the whole thing was hushed up very effectively uh, to whatever degree they could. The intelligence community really put the fear of God into a lot of these witnesses and infuriatingly put key eyewitnesses like Burroughs, Peniston, Warren, and others through uh, a series of what are euphemistically described as debriefings. Um, I would call them Disneyland on acid. Uh, They put these guys through unconscionable things to screw with their memories. And um, all of them that I've spoken with are are still living with the post-traumatic distress uh, they experienced all those 35 years ago. How
1: horrible it was not to be... It's just so sinister of this to try to make you think that you're the crazy one and that you uh, and don't believe in the ridicule factor that you speak of in some of your lectures. That, um, mm-hmm. how, how horrible and sinister it is to make somebody not believe their own thoughts.
2: Yeah, and it's terrible. It's terrible. And I became involved in this story. I had heard about it. Like anybody in the work at the time, uh, when it broke open in the autumn of 83, I met my then-future co-author briefly the next year after he had become a public person. And four years later, when we re-met in Washington, D.C., at uh, the MUFON 40th Anniversary uh, Symposium at um, uh, Larry was a a main speaker. I was a panelist uh, on a panel about abductions, and we connected, and I had been very impressed by his talk. Let's face it, you and I know that um, over the decades, numerous people have come forward and claimed, rightly or wrongly, that they knew pieces to the puzzle, were involved in this classified study or, you know, uh, as a military or intelligence person, we're privy to such information. But it's very difficult to prove and many of those um, claims have fallen by the wayside with scrutiny. Uh, Larry struck me as authentic and uh, my research over the past decades has borne that out in spades. Um, the, The thing that really drove me, though, to work with him for those nine years that it took to complete that manuscript and keeps bringing me back to this story. If there's one force, it's not intellectual curiosity or wondering about these other intelligences or what it's all about. It is a very real human thing. It's tremendous anger, as what was done to these individuals who joined the service for all the right old-fashioned reasons, um, at a time when it was becoming acceptable in American society overall to join up again uh, in the wake of the disastrous Vietnam conflict. Uh, they all came from different backgrounds. They're all decent young people. And, uh, again, what they were put through um, by the government that they had pledged to serve or agencies of it should not have happened to a dog.
1: No. No. And, you know, if it happens to them, it happens to all of us. So people who yeah. really think it doesn't it doesn't matter or anything else, but these are uh, human beings upon the earth that are being manipulated and uh, tortured mentally, and who knows what else is going on, just to remember things wrong or, or, yeah. to, or be brainwashed. At
2: the most I human think level. It's
1: happening. Like, look what they were doing, like you mentioned, the Vietnam War. Look what they were doing to uh, those guys, all the drug and uh, chemical experimentation on them.
2: Yeah. No, it's um, one of the tragedies of the way that uh, the world seems to be. And it is always the old sending in the young to uh, catch the bullets and be traumatized on certain levels, um, in many cases for years or, in some cases, the rest of their lives.
1: Okay. Let me ask you the big question. Um, Why? Who's doing it and why?
2: Um, It is a great question, and it's as multi-layered as a big onion. Um, I think Mm -hmm. part of it is the whole secret-keeping around the subject of UFOs was not some Gradual amorphous thing that started to evolve around the world. It began in earnest in um, late June, early July in the United States of America in our biggest, most influential um, newspapers and in uh, radio uh, news, the only other really viable form at the time. Um, the Truman government, and, and I, I think Harry Truman's a, a fascinating character to. Uh, have been on watch when this happened, a tough, no-nonsense guy who, through a series of political arrangements, ended up being President of the United States when President Franklin Roosevelt died in April of '45, and inherited this tremendously tough job. Um, Truman, I think, had he uh, been left to his own devices, would probably have gone public with this and probably Not a long time after the events that triggered it in the summer of 47, uh, calling a study group together, and a very highly classified and prestigious one it was. Uh, I'm referring here to the original incarnation of Majestic 12 and the 12 Mm. names um, that many of us uh, know quite well. And to digress for a moment about that, um, MJ-12 is something that researchers, investigators, scholars, lecturers, authors have been at each other's case about since 1987. Um, If it was put forward as a a way to have us argue a great deal of the time rather than focus in on the work, it's been brilliantly successful. Um, Some people say it never existed. Some people say it existed, but a great deal of the paperwork that's emerged over the years um, is disinformation. I'm one of those people who, after careful study, critical thinking, uh, doing my research as well as I can, have come to feel that there is no question that this group existed, and um, in some form or another may still exist under some name, but that As far as the documents go, and there are many of them out there that purport to be MJ-12 documents, um, I don't know which ones are real, except I am as convinced as I can be that the very first nine pages of what has come to us, the original eight-page Eisenhower briefing document and the one-page attachment of the letter from Harry Truman to uh, then the first and brand new secretary of defense James Forrestal from September of 47 that those 9 pages are authentic and that the study group advised um the president and this is pure conjecture here but this is what i genuinely feel happened that he couldn't go forward he couldn't make this public uh, the potential for mass panic for stock market crash for any number of rational Possible problems and human freakouts was real, but in doing so, they um, insinuated themselves as a permanent fixture within the post war government. And if you will, they and the repression of serious information about UFOs, or even acknowledging that it exists, became a piece of sand that a pearl allegorically started to form around. And that little piece of sand is the original irritant that kicked off our entire national security mania post-war. It's also interesting to note that many American historians date the official beginning of the Cold War per se to the summer of 1947, the same summer that the whole UFO phenomena exploded. So why keep the secret? Well, without going into anything deep, Um, any American president that would even consider revealing this could not do so on their own, first of all. uh, We don't live in the world of 1947 anymore. It would have to be coordinated with other world leaders, with uh, major media, with multinational um, corporate movers and shakers, with religious leaders, um, educators, astronomers, who knows how many people would have to be brought in for semi simultaneous announcements but what president and i don't care who it is or who it will be left right democrat republican um progressive conservative doesn't matter yeah. would want to say in essence um it's my solemn duty to let my fellow citizens know that we are not alone that there are other intelligences plural that come and go with impunity and machines that are um, extremely sophisticated, beyond our grasp. And um, there are different thems. We don't know exactly what they want, but uh, that's the way it is. That would be the same as saying, my fellow Americans, every American president, including and since Harry Truman and myself up until this very moment, have been unindicted co-conspirators in the greatest Mm cover-up in human history, Questions, please. Uh, you know, it ain't going to wash like that. That's not the way these power broker, overwhelmingly, you know, white establishment figures um, play the game. And so we are in this kind of schizophrenic netherworld where there are those of us, uh, by dint of study, experience, observation, Um, a profound communication from somebody we respect and admire, what have you, know as well as we can, and for some of us beyond a reasonable doubt in a legal sense, that we're not alone and that we're being lied to about it. And the rest of the folks wonder why people like us take such silliness seriously and you know everybody knows they're not real if they were real we'd all know about it how could you keep a secret so big Uh, and then of course you have uh, the friendly helpers people like the debunkers whose mantra is it can't be therefore it isn't therefore it's something else and my self-assigned little job here in the universe is to pat you on the head and explain that it was uh, an, an, a car's headlight bouncing off of uh, a cloud or uh, an air inversion or uh, you misinterpreted what you saw. It was something very conventional. And this is where we find ourselves. What I see as very healthy, but it's, it's hardly a mass movement, uh, and I see it in a very clear way as a demographic from where I sit as a full-time professional in this field, is that every year absolutely more and more otherwise rational you know regulation issue decent human beings working their jobs raising their kids paying their taxes all that care less and less what other people think about what they think about this subject and its implications now again i see that as expanding arithmetically three, eleven, four, sixteen people at a time, depending on how these things go, certainly a couple at a time or one at a time, always. But I guess I, I, I see a uh, an impending problem in that those of us that are really involved in this, okay, we're ready, you know, let us know, we can handle it. Well, true enough, to a great degree, I think. However, we, you and I, Shar are hardly representative of the uh, American consciousness or demographic on this, nor of the world population, who will be doing some pretty serious freaking out, I think, when this subject um, comes loose. And uh, that transition from this schizophrenic world of aware folks and sleepwalkers to a world where, everybody knows, like it or not, that we are not alone. And like it or not, that we are united by our humanity more than we are our nationalities, what sex we are, what religion, what we do professionally. And um, that is probably very intimidating to the forces that be who rely on fear, uh, allegiance to your flag in a very strict Mm -hmm. way all of those old world
1: values
2: that will be blown out of the water or seriously questioned if we begin to see ourselves as a species in the universe rather than, you know, I'm an American man or, you know, you're uh, a Chinese woman and, you know, I'm a Christian and you're a Jew or whatever. Um, These differences will not mean nearly as much when this comes to fore. And that is something that folks in power don't want to give away. Uh, there's too much riding on it.
1: Wow. You know, the visual on that is just so beautiful, as you see, as we're actually, you know, out in outer space living on our planet. So mm-hmm. you know that we exist, so we're actually the proof that you can exist in outer space on a planet to me. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Good point. That's the way I think, Yeah, though. well, that's been proven. <laughs> so we're living proof. We're here. So uh, it can happen, and that's why I don't understand how debunkers can turn around and say it's not happening when we're happening. We are well, here.
2: Yeah. But um, I, I think they would declare special circumstance the same way that... Um, uh, people who were deeper deeply religious and might interpret our life on earth as unique in the cosmos uh you know um for any number of, of reasons based on belief and mythology and the like uh, if you believe it's easy to tailor uh what you hear and take in um in fact it's it's for me, human beings' ability to look at this and in some cases even look at some of the quality evidence which most folks never see or have access to or seek out, the level of denial that people are capable of when they're anxious enough uh, about the implications of what's really going on is in its own way in some ways, as amazing as the phenomena itself uh we are remarkable creatures we will we will yeah. hold on to for dear life uh if it threatens um, our beliefs, our myths, our legends, you know the stories we were told are the ones we have to hold closest,
1: yeah, until the well, you know, the, some people call it the veil of sinning and things like that, but people are individually experiencing some pretty extraordinary things that are proven by science, uh, science to be true. Yeah, That's what when I, when, you know, quantum physics got in the act, and then the top, top, most the greatest, biggest thinkers in the world are saying there is a God, there is probably more than likely, yes, there is life out there. We can say yes, there is, because we're, well, to me, we're here, so we're proof of it but now we're hearing it from the top, and then we're hearing about all these 12 dimensions and different anomalies and stuff like that. You know, sometimes I get angry because I feel like we're being kept in the Stone Age intentionally.
2: Yeah. And when you add to that the knowledge that even now commonly agreed upon among the most conservative, respected um, astronomers in the world community, that there are literally millions and millions of Earth-sized planets out there in the cosmos about the same distance that we are from the Sun from a similar-sized star, giving them at the least the basic start on the simple building blocks, whether one wants to see the evolution of complex life as a a matter of of science and evolution or of divine intervention. that, you know, do the math, of course the universe is teeming with life, or so it would seem it has the potential for that primordial ooze to form on any planet, you know, be hit by lightning or what have you, and have the beginning of that first series of one-celled creatures uh, moving along and uh, you know thinking ahead billions of years to the world of reality television.
1: <laughs> right. I think that I think that uh some, some where many
2: one celled creatures live themselves.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well and also I'm thinking that well you as an artist and uh into film and everything, you know, are well aware of is that uh we have been touching and tapping into different realities. Now, some people are drinking and drugging and all that other stuff, you know.
0: Always. But
1: other people are writing movies about this other dimension. Let's say, of course, old Star Trek started a lot of it to me, you know, that uh, I can remember one when you were talking about different types of beings. That I remember that one being that was in love with uh, Captain Kirk. And she was more like a light, but it was sort of feminine. Like Tinkerbell, and you really, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't really tell really what it was, but it had power. And anyway, so it's like uh, I could see that for the future.
2: Yeah, we are truly on the edge of a brave new world. What and where it will all lead uh, is anybody's guess. And depending on whether is one is basically an optimist or pessimist, uh, that will color your views for sure. Uh, it is certainly a very exciting time to be alive and pondering these questions and seeing um you know, over the, just less than a week ago, um, a major announcement was made that uh, there seems to be a ninth planet, uh, if, uh, uh, you know, with a poor little Pluto being demoted to a mini-planet or something, that's on a huge, or so they say right now at this early theoretical time, Um, a huge orbit of maybe 20,000 years or so, my first thought was, if that's possible, then uh, planet X, Nibiru, on a much wider um, orbit, may someday be acknowledged by uh, formal science, or perhaps this is that planet, and they will learn that the orbit is a lot bigger than 20,000 years uh, for every rotation. Things change every day, and we are mm-hmm. overcome with so much data um, reminding me that the Internet itself is such a overwhelming, impossible-to-take-in double-edged sword. It's, it's a remarkable tool for research and investigation, or just curious, and it is full of so much crap that you would have to spend the rest of your life on learning if you take it seriously, Um, if anything, it says to me that with all the sophisticated hardware, we have the extraordinary electronic toys that now become essential to all of us, your handheld personal communication device and everything else, that our best investigative tools are still real research and investigation, critical thinking, and common sense, and it doesn't matter, you know, how much hardware you have access to if you're prone to uh, believing something because uh, you like the way it sounds or it works into your philosophy and then, you know, set yourself up as a defender of your personal belief in the realm of the paranormal, UFO studies, or what have you, um, and that belief is rooted in your feeling of faith that you are right, then you might as well just start another religion. Uh, For me, studying the UFO phenomena is overall a very scientific and three-dimensional pursuit. But it's completely fraught with wormholes and what-ifs and challenging Mm -hmm. yourself on on some extraordinary ideas, Uh, doing your best to follow the evidence wherever it goes and not predispose yourself to one point of view or another and be as honest and ethical as you can in reporting what your findings are, your observations, whether or not it's... uh, some major study or a new book or just telling about, you know, an incident that you had or a sighting that you observed
0: uh
2: in as accurate and uncolored uh a way as possible.
1: Why is the power of ridicule, you know, so much more powerful sometimes than the truth? How can the truth be shut down so easily? What's what is think... in us?
2: Yeah, I I, I think, once again, it's blindingly and deceptively simple. Human beings, um, it doesn't matter whether they are among the most powerless people on Earth or some of the prime movers, wealthiest and most powerful politically or otherwise, people don't like to be made fun of. People don't like to be joked about, uh, especially if it's something that they take very seriously and um again you could be the the most simple person living in the most rural area or the president of the united states or a billionaire um and you're still going to be of a mind that you know i, I don't want to have people make fun of me uh, yeah you don't want the, the case yeah, and, and here's something to bounce off you, Char. Um, hmm. It was something that pulled me more and more into researching and investigating the idea of a genuine, specific beginning to uh, something that set this ridicule in motion. Because when you think about it, there is something so counterintuitive, so counter logical to the way. That we have been conditioned, and I say we euphemistically, going back to uh, 1947. In fact, if I ran into you on the street um, and we were neighbors or whatever, and I said, "You know, the damn," let's say we grew up in a world simply without UFOs, just never happened. Mm-hmm. And I said, "You know, I saw the damnedest thing yesterday afternoon or last night. I was walking the dog or playing with the kids, and I looked up." And I saw a thing or things in the sky. And I never saw anything like them. They weren't shaped anything like our airplanes. Um, they moved around in ways that defied every law of flight that I know of. Um, the thing was as big as a star and then as big as the moon. Um, it came down. It landed on the neighbor's lawn. It left a big burn mark. Um it came over the house, and the electricity went off. Uh, my dog went crazy, and so did every other animal in the neighborhood, and then it just took off, and it was gone. Isn't that wild? Now, in a same world, you would probably say or think something like, yeah, that is wild, and I wonder what it was, too. End of story. Right. So yeah. how is it that if I say that to the average person on the street, they will think, probably too polite to say, what's wrong with Peter? Um, Has he gone mystical? Does he um, want to feel special? One of my favorites. Um, Is he trying to hoax me? Does he want to be famous? Is he mentally ill? Is this some kind of crazy promotion or some, you know, everything except the simple thing that it might be. Um, That fascinates me. And again, how that came to pass makes no real sense whatsoever. Um, Many years ago, when I started to look into this, probably in the 1980s, um, some of the theories were that, well, you know, the news media, always sensitive of looking bad, uh, that there were in quite a number of fakes and frauds and fabrications, and the big newspapers were embarrassed more than once, and so they just decided to not take it seriously. That is definitely not true. There were certainly a few um, overwhelmingly clumsy, nonsensical, you know, uh, events that had nothing to do with the real phenomena that began to appear en masse in the summer of 1947, and yet. Uh, led by the most respected, the most powerful, and the most influential newspaper in the United States, the New York Times, beginning in uh, in the Times case in the very early July. Um, the coverage began, and the Times, interestingly, did not cover the so-called crash of an unidentified object Uh, on the plains of San Augustin, uh, outside of the town called Roswell, New Mexico. They never covered it. They picked up the story Mm -hmm. the next day when the uh, base intelligence officer, Jesse Marcel, was forced um, to undergo the ultimate humiliation, which was to pose with pieces of a crashed mogul weather balloon after posing with actual pieces from um, the crashed whatever it was, Uh, the day before, and um, that was the Times' first coverage. And I will tell you, as having read, downloaded, and found every single article, editorial, photograph, caption, letter to the editor that the New York Times has ever published on this subject, that 98% and a half of it, from the summer of 1947 on, has been condescending, sarcastic, nonsensical, um, pseudo-scientific, insulting, really. And you can just come away thinking, me thinks the lady doth protest too much. I personally feel, and I am looking more deeply into trying to establish this with court-level proof, that key individuals or an an individual very close to President Truman was charged with the responsibility right then, in the very late days of June, first days of July, triggered by the um, Kenneth Arnold sightings in Washington State on June 24th, and not Roswell, to meet with some of the most powerful and influential men in America, and I say men as opposed to human, because there were no women involved. That would have included um, uh, the owners of the New York Times, uh, William Randolph Hearst, members of the Copley syndicate out of Boston that published at least 150 papers at the time, uh, the other newspaper syndicates, and either in enrolling them, in saying, you know, uh, this is kind of a rough time with the Soviets and people think they're seeing all this crazy stuff in the uh, skies, we need your help to just lighten things up and tell your editors to tell your uh, reporters to cover this in a lighthearted way. That will mean a lot to us and will help us through this period of time. Or give them a very close version of the truth and say, in fact, this stuff is happening and we don't know what it is and it's not out of the question that it is not human. And the president has asked me to ask you to, uh, as a patriotic American and a very influential one, to work with the administration on this and who would turn the president down in either case, whether they were Republican or Democrat. Everybody understood that uh, it was a tense time in post-war history. Again, uh, to establish this, in ways that I could go to court with are going to be near impossible, but it is a wonderful part of plotting research that you can often find out by virtue of a calendar that can be you know, half a century old or more yeah. of somebody who was a mover and shaker back in the day where they were or weren't to a certain degree. It's certainly not proof, but it adds to it. And um, I'm going to continue to just work this on the side as well as other research projects because I think it's really important not only that we understand um, how and why this was set into motion, but perhaps if we in the research community can understand the pressures that people in the Truman administration were under and appreciate that moment in American history, we can get off of our attitude a bit of seeing it as it is, which is us and them, as opposed to, on some level, forgive that past government in history and understand that everything has evolved logically, neurotically, tragically, in a way that we can understand based on that initial and profoundly effective series of lies, deceptions, and nonsense that have given us, to some degree, the crazy world that we now inhabit. Wow.
1: I never thought
2: of that, of forgiving. them. It's something that really has crept up on me for years, and at times I've I've left it alone for years and then come back to it. In the late 80s, I started downloading um, articles off of microfiche that I'd find in these huge ledgers in the New York Times newspaper morgue where I researched for many months uh, in the late 80s and early 90s to cover every possible heading that would refer to um, one of these events. In other words, what I'm saying here is I couldn't type in UFO or unidentified flying object because the term didn't even come into public usage until 1955-56, I learned by trial and error that in 1947 the words spaceship and extraterrestrial, per se, did not exist. When I, by a fluke, looked them up as two words each or hyphenated, extraterrestrial or spaceship, then the articles came up. Um, the word alien um, threw me off on uh, a lot of tangents because of illegal entries of non Americans into our borders. But, mm-hmm. you know, aerial disks, unidentified uh, aerial objects, there were all kinds of euphemisms. And um, it's very enlightening to read these articles or the highlights from them in order, one after another, all several hundred of them, and see how hard. This otherwise very intelligent organization um, has worked to lead uh, the media into a jaundiced view. Now, again, there are lots of journalists who know better now and are sophisticated enough to realize we really do have a situation here. But overwhelmingly, um, establishment media... Corporate media still steers this course. And, you know, um, we've got quite a number of interesting, some very good UFO-related shows, regularly and irregularly, uh, and we always will. It sells commercial time, and people find it interesting to either say, yeah, that that proves it's true, or, oh, I'm going to tune this in because it's all nonsense and I can laugh at the show. Um, It's like our huge cultural elephant behind the brick wall. Uh and it's a question that humanity will continue to come back to um until it's resolved one way or the other.
1: Yeah, you've published a uh, awesome book of uh called Deception and uh it's a it's a thorough investigation of the serious disinformation uh, uh that's going on and um You've actually offered this book. Where can people get this book? Because you go into it at length of what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, um, Deception is a book that I wrote last year, um, and you can have it for free. Um, I I really reflected on it, and because I'm making some very hard charges in it, um, I I did not want to be seen as profiting, uh, although... It's sort of a nutty decision and fueled by sixties idealism. I, I do my best to pay my bills and make my living as an investigative writer and speaker. But yeah. um if you go to the website for a free publication in England called Phenomena Magazine. It's a monthly and I highly encourage all of your listeners to check it out. Uh there is no cost, there's no strings. It's a monthly that kind of covers the paranormal, primarily in the UK, but not exclusively, on everything from hauntings to ancient mysteries, UFOs, all that stuff. And if you go to the homepage of Phenomena magazine, you'll see a box that says Special Reports. If you click on it, you will see a series of seven cyber books on a cyber bookshelf and you just download them in order um onto your computer and you have the book. I um I consider myself a uh, a nice person. I'm not interested in seeking out and making my life about conflict, but last year I wrote another follow-up book. Two left at eastgate I'm um, last year, uh yeah, just last year, deception was the year before it's now nineteen two thousand sixteen of course um but I encourage any of your listeners who would like to see uh how I feel one should respond to charges that are not accurate or are untrue or that are completely deceptive um, mm. it is a book called Halt in Woodbridge, as in stop in Woodbridge, Woodbridge being one word. Um, And again, uh, goes to part of the Rendlesham story, in this case, the ongoing conflict that has existed between my co-author, a fully authentic United States uh, military um, UFO witness and whistleblower. And it has cost him. I think Larry Warren is absolutely heroic in what he did and Mm. uh, should be treated as such. And for more than 30 years now, 30 years, his former deputy base commander has repeatedly said that many of Larry's claims and uh, allegations and memories are untrue. And Enough is Enough. Um, It came to a head last summer, and within the story of hitting us with his best shot in the most vicious and inaccurate presentation on the subject I have ever had to uh, confront, there's a much bigger story of 30 years of an Air Force officer doing everything that they could to um, destroy the credibility of an important UFO-related witness. Um, And let me say here that that book focuses on deputy base commander, now retired Charles Halt, and the previous book on uh, my colleague and uh, friend Nick Pope. I don't consider either of these men evil or bad, so to say. I think that they are both under pressure to do what they do, and uh, in these specific cases that I cite, um, and it's a shame. I think that um, Charles Halt has an important story to tell, and he should stick to it. And I'm sorry to say for him that uh, Halt in Woodbridge um addresses every single allegation that he has made, all of them in hyper-specific terms, no generalizations whatsoever, proof presented for every allegation uh, regarded. And in most cases, the kind of evidence you could see presented in a major felony case. And it leads me to conclude that last year at least um charles hall in giving the most specious of these lectures back in england rather than here in the states or someplace else uh, repeatedly and intentionally committed legal slander as defined under english law and i leave it to every reader to decide for themselves um, should you wish to get a sense of the book without buying it You can go to Amazon Books and click on a link um, for the book where you can read the first 20 or 25 pages for free. Um, You can also audit every single uh, review that has been posted on the book, and I encourage anybody interested in the book to, um, to do just that. If you are interested in purchasing it, I priced the... Regular book at fourteen ninety five, but uh, fourteen ninety nine. God, what a crazy thing! Um, however, with um, Kindle, um, I'm very pleased to say that we were able to hold it to three dollars and ninety nine cents. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if you have a Kindle, it's not a hardship. Um, I'm obviously the least objective person in the world regarding this new title, but I do encourage anybody seriously interested. In how, again, this is not a book about the other intelligences or theories of why they're here. It is, it's almost like a legal brief, and it discusses um, the truth and deception, separating the two, proving the difference between the two, and uh, laying it all out as clearly as possible. And I'll tell you what, I wish I didn't have to, I, I would have much preferred who have never been compelled to write either of those books.
1: No, you, we have to have that, and we have to have it in writing so people will have it after us, too, because this isn't yeah. over with our generation.
2: No, it isn't. You know, it's ongoing. You're writing for
1: all of us. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. ongoing, and the new people are coming up. I'm quite happy about the, the younger people coming, and yeah. uh, they won't have all the stuff from the 40s and 50s bogged on their heads like we do. And uh they're they're coming into it but they need to have this uh you know, you're 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 awesome and that you will get it down on paper. It's so hard mm-hmm. to write it down. You know, you know it's, 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 it's very really hard. funny,
2: Shar. Um when people read the newest book, uh, Halton Woodbridge, they will see not even below the surface that I am angry. And mm-hmm. I I do my best to keep my cool, but um I do express my feelings um, increasingly as I go about what I'm confronting here. And um, I wrote it in a way that many writers dream uh, about writing, um, although about things that perhaps they'd enjoy more. uh, After an initial period of days of the worst writer's block imaginable and not wanting to get started on it, I did begin And then got into that zone where you get up in the morning and you can't wait to get back to what you were doing. You keep your breaks basic. I ended up working almost seven weeks, overall about seven days a week with two days exception, 12 to 14-hour focused work days. And when I say focused, I mean reading Fact checking, investigating, networking with colleagues, no music in uh, a very rural area here with absolutely no background sound. I'd work till 3 or 4 in the morning, uh, get back to work in the morning. Um, my only regret is I, I felt this was very time sensitive every day that this was not posted uh, or mm-hmm. available to the public. Um, more and more people would think, well, gee, maybe Charles Halt is right here. Nothing could have been further from the truth. And as is often the case, no matter how carefully you type, proofread, some zingers get through, and it's always excruciating for a writer to see you know, uh, typos yeah. or bad punctuation. It's hardly riddled with them, but I, I, I wince at every single one of them. Um, but once the book was done, Um, And I have had no response from it, absolutely none. But it seems to have quieted literally all debate on this specific aspect of Rendlesham, which is, um, when I say quieted, I don't mean in, in some negative way. It's just point made, and nobody has been able to refute what I've written. I do hope Charles Halt makes good on his announcement of last year, That there will be a book out this year that he is co-writing about his experiences and we can address that at another time. Um, I think it's a shame that he went out of his way to put himself into uh, harm's way as far as people um, seeing his deceptions for what they are. It's a shame. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Uh, He served his country well and it's kind of an ignominious note to go out on. My only point here is that I was so deeply involved emotionally in writing this book when I did, as well as factually, that within a few weeks of doing it, it kind of went into my past. I I talk about it now when I do a radio show. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something that goes through my mind every day. Maybe that's Um, uh, well, I think it's a good thing in that I really got out what I needed to say as objectively and as accurately as I was able and don't have a need to uh, harp on it or obsess about it or even reflect on it much at this point. I will certainly be glad to uh, at any point when anybody feels they can challenge me on it, especially Mr. Hall or his co-author, to be, um, but otherwise, I'm on to about you know six other projects and uh, mm-hmm. looking at a very exciting year approaching and in different uh, opportunities uh, and jobs that I'll be doing. And um, what an again what an amazingly interesting time it is for people like you and I doing this work.
1: It is it's so interesting that each person in their own way has just come forward and just started working. Nobody yeah. told you to do it. You know what I mean? But it's just starting yeah. to start doing it. And that's what's so yeah. remarkable. I find people just starting to do it, just doing something, whatever their yeah. corner is or whatever they're doing and trying to bring it forth. And um, do you find that um, being an artist, that, that this has actually uh, helped you? Or do you – okay, I'm t- talking about uh, Alt and how he has uh, gotten interested in uh, – Uh, Christopher Bledsoe and his story and that um, how a lot of us, like I'm an artist also, but how we're all um, so interested in it and and we need to express ourselves about it and, uh, you know, how um, I think it's like uh, fortuitous. There's there's something about it that I find uh, um, they're going to talk about us in in the future. You know what I mean? You're going to talk mm-hmm. about all these people that stepped forward and the first ones, and they said this, this, and you wrote it down. You know, they're going to be referring to your... Mm-hmm. I could just see them doing it, referring to your work.
2: It's interesting that you say it like that. Um, I hadn't thought about it like that in a while, but going back quite a number of years when um, I worked as Bud Hopkins' assistant on and off for... Uh, 15 years or longer. Um, I. It was the 80s, it was the 90s, um, and it never was lost on me that even in the quietest, most mundane moments of filing papers, uh, fact-checking, uh, logging in audio cassettes of, of people that had done Interviews or regressive hypnosis work with Bud, uh, taking calls, responding to letters, and every letter that was written to Bud, um, literally every letter was responded to with a personal, written, handwritten note. Uh, This was all pre email and internet, but that there were lots of times that I thought, here I am sitting in this big drafty studio in an old building in lower Manhattan with uh, my friend working away, you know, on the next level or behind the desk, a dozen feet away from me. And this guy, Bud, um, is one of a handful of movers and shakers working with some of the most explosive information and data and findings in the entire history of human evolution on Earth. And, you know, here we are soaking uncancelled stamps off of letters to be able to reuse them and save a few pennies because, you know, we're so up against the wall um, mm. in terms of any kind of grants or anything like that. However, I think there will come a time in the future, and this is me talking to myself back then and still now, where if we manage not to blow ourselves to hell and destroy this planet, there will come a time, hundreds of years in the future, less, more, who knows, when people uh, will go to school and study uh, at some point that period of time in the latter part of the uh, 20th century, early part of the 21st century, when a relatively small cadre of individuals around the world Um, lent their knowledge and their passion and their time to developing an area of study and a database around something that the rest of the world generally thought was nonsense but now of course in the future we all know is real, we all know their names and who these people and read their books now and uh, of course we, we live our lives every day knowing that we're not alone in good ways, ways bad ways, who knows what? Then they really sacrificed, and they uh, they did something important with their lives, and we should remember them kindly.
1: We should, and you know, some of these people, you know, uh, it was a great blow to me when uh, Doctor Mac passed away. That he, oh yeah, you know, because uh, he was, uh, I was having extreme PTSD, and. Uh, I had had uh abduction since childhood, and then it, it mm. just got really bad in, uh, in the 80s, so I wrote him a letter. And um, then to have him pass, you know, but he was one of the kindest people, you know, and yes. he's the one that helped me. He said, I believe you. He said, if you were yes. here at Harvard, I would take you in. He said, but then he, he referred me to Vaughn over here, so that's how I started yeah. the whole thing. Ah.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, John, for me, um, was not just a great man, which he certainly was, but a great guy. And I met him literally in the infancy of his interest in this subject uh, when he had come to New York to meet a painter who thought that non-humans were abducting humans. And, wow, this guy must be a little crazy. And John came away feeling, no, he was not... Not only not great. Another
1: artist? uh,
2: Yes, indeed. And uh, Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to uh, uh, have him as a friend and um, speak for uh, him um, at Cambridge Hospital in Boston and have some wonderful times together. Um, um, Wonderful sense of humor. I I am very lucky. Very lucky. You're lucky. I had a wonderful sense of humor and... um, a great sense of camaraderie and there was a specific kindness to him and john made no secret about the fact that the western model so to say really was not working out as far as he was concerned and this pre existed his his interest in in ufo studies and abduction And he generally looked to the East in terms of philosophical answers and the like, and where this work brought him into a focus for him on seeing what he could find in terms of positive experiences, transformational experiences that people had who had undergone classic abduction experiences, contact experiences, what have you. And I remember that day, and then he didn't well, he died, of course, in two thousand and four, but not yeah. naturally. He was assisted yeah. out of this mortal coil by a extremely drunken driver in England with five suspended okay. licenses, as I
1: recall, oh my God,
2: I was there uh, very close by when it happened, and um remember speaking to Nick Pope that afternoon. Knowing that there'd be a lot of people who, with good cause—not you know your usual conspiracy crowd—would say that he may have been murdered, and there is good cause. Uh, he had the dream credentials so many of us had been waiting for forever. He was a true establishment figure, professor, uh, distinguished professor of psychiatry, a brilliant clinician, a co-founder of Cambridge Psychiatric Hospital Wing, uh, a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer. And um, I did my own investigation, uh, even getting hold of the court records um, to a great degree, and concluded that while he would have been a very logical person to remove, he was so articulate. And again, um, a much better chance of uh, making a profound impact on establishment people than Bud, in some cases, Bud was so articulate and smart and such a great communicator, but, oh, he was a painter, not a psychiatrist? Oh, well, let's listen mm-hmm. to the psychiatrist. But I, yeah. I, I have concluded for myself, and I, I think my research shows it, that John may well have done something that many of us Americans do when we visit the United Kingdom, sometimes with disastrous results, which was look the wrong way when you cross the street. And... um even to look at that whole area and say, in the what if sense, if this was a Manchurian candidated out guy with a three person mm-hmm. intelligence team triangulating you know on a roof out a window from this point of view and with an earpiece in there, totally out of his mind uh on uh alcohol because he was several i mean I forget the the amount over the legal limit of being inebriated, he was, but he was. Uh, if at that moment, you know, they could have timed it to say, you know, accelerate now, it's still almost an impossibility in my mind that it could have been coordinated. Um, John was just hit by this stupid, uncaring, well, I don't know. Alcoholism is a disease, and um,
0: yeah.
2: uh, John's family, a lot like him, um, petitioned the judge to consider not giving this man jail time because it wouldn't bring John back, and he had suffered enough, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, um, that's not a fair thing to say. It's a very noble attitude, but the judge, like me, felt, no, uh, no, he's going to jail. Unfortunately, well, he with did it before. System, yeah, he yeah oh, it yeah, was his so. fifth suspension. Um yeah. and I think he uh, he was out in eighteen months or something. It was that was criminal. Mm. Uh as Tony Soprano would say, what are you gonna do?
1: I know, it's a great loss that I still feel. You know, it's like yeah. no it's not like you can just let go of him. You know, he's no. a, <laughs> I know he's in a better place. They don't make him like that of, anymore.
2: Uh, no, they don't. Especially you know, he's a treasure. For anybody that had a relationship with John certainly at the time that uh, he died was killed, um, in a therapeutic sense, whether or not they were seeing him informally as an experiencer or abductee or he was their psychiatrist, that's a particularly uh, unique and uh, very rough loss, depending on where you are in your work with that individual, of course.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just uh, he was just something else, and uh he's in a better place, and uh we'll see each other again. That's what I believe, but okay, well, we have a question from the gallery yeah now cool. uh, uh he's asking, how do we break free of the controlling interests in this debate?
2: Mm. you know that i that's a great question i I think there's no easy answer uh the best that we can do, we collectively and we individually is the best we can do. And I'm not playing games with words here. I think for anybody that has come to the point where they see this as a political issue or as something that needs to be discussed and not shied away from um, in a way that is productive. uh, Remember, behind the feelings of many folks who say this is nonsense or it's not real or I'm a sophisticated, educated person. If it was true, I'm sure I would have picked up on it. You can't keep secrets this big. The best thing that any of us can do with our circles of friends, acquaintances, you know, coworkers, what have you, who know that we have a serious interest in this and like to challenge us on it or whatever is speak truth as we know it Um Try to act as educators within our circles. Um, yeah. Understand that folks who are sarcastic, who get in your face about this, who try to belittle you, are often suffering from real anxiety behind the bravado, uh, consciously, even unconsciously. And I try to remember um, that that's the case. Um, I've got lots of other things I'm happy to talk about with anybody completely having nothing to do with this subject, but if they want to talk to me about it, um, I'm happy to refer them to good educational sources, uh, books, good documentaries, recommend conference they might want to attend, listen to interviews on the radio. You don't have to spend a lot of money to educate yourself on this. To build an actual library of really quality literature on this, and you read enough of it and you you know what's what. And be a spokesperson, be a rational spokesperson for, you know, forget about the wildest and most sensational sounding claims, even if they're 100% true. Do your best to help people just get through that first door and acknowledge that, you know, as Stanton Friedman says, the question is not. Are UFOs, and I may be off by a word here, but I know Stan will give me latitude. The question is not, are UFOs representative of advanced technology under the control of intelligences that come and go with impunity? The question is, has one, has anyone ever been? <laughs> and the answer to that, I think, is an overwhelming yes. I, I think that more and more uh, unidentified flying objects, to be strictly strict in definition, are explainable in terms that are not, you know, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, or what have you. They are us. The advanced things that we have up in the air might as well be from another technological planet or what have you. Uh, I like to remind people that in 1960 6061, we deployed a plane that was designed under the Eisenhower administration by arguably the greatest military aircraft designer of all time, Kelly Johnson, uh, who's done for the Lockheed Skunk Works. And it was called the SR-71, nicknamed the Blackbird. That plane could fly at Mach 3. It could climb at 10,000 feet a minute. It could cruise at Perhaps a hundred thousand feet, um this is nineteen fifties technology I'm talking about here um and that's where we were then, so always remember with a certain amount of humility um and all you need to do is contemplate you know your smartphone long enough, and that it's a hell of a lot smarter than you will ever be, and it has more technology. Um, in it, and more ability to calculate and solve problems than all of the computer banks that were used to get us to the moon and back. Um, we we live in a world of illusion to a degree, and um, these high-tech toys that filter down to us, if this is what we have access to, uh, what in the name of all that's holy... Is really out there that we do, <laughs> we make that really. we are in control of. Uh, it boggles the mind to a degree.
1: That's it's really true um, because remember, our resource was that it said an encyclopedia everybody had in their house. <laughs> that's exactly, what, that's what we took. <laughs> it took up two. Hard jumps. copy, analog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. You
0: got
1: now that right. to have like Wiki and the whole. Uh, to us, who, who who love research, you know, yeah. it was like a gold mine to me. I can look Absolutely. up everything going everywhere. I think I have to still look have all these two from
2: like elementary school or junior high school where it proudly proclaims at the bottom of the last of three pages or whatever uh, mm-hmm. source Britannica Encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. That's and right. That's it, it baby. It a lot
1: <laughs> to us especially <laughs> <laughs> what like, color now that was something else. see those pictures and the <laughs> medical pages with the clear pages over it to oh, see where the yeah. liver was and all that. I loved all that Ex- stuff you know, now we have everything, stuff. yeah, it's excellent and and now it's just like mind boggling to us, so we're you know I don't get sick of it ever.' I'm looking up whatever then you go on a tangent, one thing leads to another, and I love investigating all that stuff, you know, so what do you got coming up, Mister?
2: Now, a bunch of things. Um, right now, um, I, I, I'm kind of glad that I'm, I didn't have any speaking dates for this month. Uh gives me a chance to kind of uh, recharge my battery. I'm here mm-hmm. in fairly rural America in central New York State outside of Ithaca, New York. Snow oh, on beautiful. the ground right now, but it looks like we are well out of the path of this superstorm that unfortunately is battering away at a lot of our friends in the northeast just below me. Um Right now, um still working uh, regularly to bring attention to the new documentary on Travis Walton, which is called Travis, the True Story of Travis Walton. Uh, executive producer Jennifer Stein and I uh, met up in New York City this past weekend where uh, the documentary had been uh, accepted as an entry into a film festival uh, in the city. Interestingly, um, the first festival where it's been entered, which was a science fiction film festival, and they accepted it, knowing it was not fiction. And just this past Saturday night, it won as best in its category. I think it was awesome. the sixth, Yeah, I think it was the the sixth award that it's won in uh, a little less than a year that it has been out, and um, I will be involved in screenings of that later this summer um, in both uh, Glasgow, Scotland and Athens, Greece. Um, More immediate, though, um, in March and I'll touch on some of the jobs I have confirmed for this year a number of them coming in as we speak Um, in March, MUFON um, in Michigan is sponsoring a terrific conference remembering that Alan Heinick uh caused himself eternal embarrassment by referring to a major uh wave of sightings in Michigan in the sixties as swamp gas. And so oh, yeah. oh. finally we have the swamp gas UFO conference, which I am going to be a very proud speaker in. And awesome. uh yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs>
0: coming up
2: uh in March. In April, closer to home, the fringe, New Jersey. Conference is coming up, and you can Google any of these things. Uh, uh, if you are in the Northeast, I hope you might be able to join me for that. In May, I'll be speaking in um, Ann Arbor uh, for the Paradigm uh, UFO Conference, uh, June, Ohio, uh, MUFON. Um, I'm very proud to say that uh, this year for the big international uh, MUFON symposium, it's going to be held in Florida, and I will be uh, the MC for that. I'll be speaking in Alabama later in the year and a lot of small gigs coming up um, a number of of Skype talks uh, which is really changing the whole face of of lecturing Uh, in the old days if a group wanted you to come in but couldn't afford it it was just you know sorry Charlie and now um, can do a a good lecture uh, coordinating your PowerPoint presentation with a group anywhere in the world, and then take questions, look at the people as they speak. Uh, it's, it is, it um, is you know, however, we can do it. We should do it. And I'm glad to work with any groups, libraries, organizations, schools, what have you, in um, bringing this information to their doorstep. So, um a uh, couple of writing projects right now, going back to a manuscript that I had started several uh, years ago and got interrupted by two other books, but I hope that I will have another book done by the end of this year. Um, and as always, looking forward to uh, returning to the United Kingdom, where this crazy subject has brought me now, I think, about 25 times. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, whenever I'm in the UK and it's remotely possible, I return to Rendlesham. I'm sure I've been in those woods every possible time from morning until early morning, winter, summer, spring or fall. Uh, Like the Rendlesham forest story and like the UFO uh, question itself, it obsesses me to some degree. It is a very a very loaded piece of real estate. It is uh it really is. Continues. You never get sick of it going. either. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, uh, you're just amazing. And uh can you give everybody your contact information if somebody wanted to contact you or
2: Yes, absolutely glad to. Yeah. Um right now I actually um have a a new website up that really is kind of uh untouched, but um dot com. Uh, otherwise, um, friend me on my Facebook page. I post everything that I'm doing there and other conferences and radio shows uh, on my page. Um, and you can also email me uh, at probbinsny at com. That's my first initial, last name, my state, probinsny.com. And I'll do my best to get back to you. And... Uh, you i know i'll be seeing somewhere along the line uh this yeah. year who knows where <laughs> <laughs> who
0: knows where uh, i'm hoping that
2: your... i i i will be back out in california later this year it's been way too long and uh my fingers are crossed that a potential sponsor will make good oh, yeah. on their invitation and i'll let you know as soon as i know
1: oh please do because uh we really need you out here and To me, you're just a clear, uh, strong, and creative voice, you know, talking about uh, a very uh, fascinating and interesting and also uh, sometimes heartbreaking subject that we just need to keep forging on, you know, because some of us get tired once in a while, and uh, especially tired of the ridicule and the weirdness and the fakers, you know. I was up in arm after the last slew of fakers. I really, this is the first time here, you know, and I've... I've been, yeah. you know, experiencing since the 50s, and yeah. I never got mad until last year. I never got mad till last year. I got mad because a couple people did a couple of weirdo things that I thought were uncalled for. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just got mad.
2: Yeah. Well, um, anger, properly focused, can be a very constructive force. Uh, other True. times it can eat you up alive. Um, yeah. It's I, I not think doing for me... A very good example was, again, uh, last summer in writing Halt in Woodbridge. I really was able to uh, focus my uh, indignation in a way that was very productive and um, ironically resulted in me doing some of the best investigative work I've done in years.
1: That's awesome. You know, it's yeah, really awesome. I like that so,
2: sometimes. But yeah, I, 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 I will remind the your listeners. Um, whether or not they're just becoming interested in this subject, whether they're hardcore and you know serious students, whether they're published authors or um, considering uh, getting in that arena, we are all in this together, uh from the best known to the least known. Uh, in that sense, we are all colleagues, we are all connected, and um, we're all doing hopefully what we can to add some clarity and thoughtfulness um, to our collective knowledge here, moving toward creating what I would characterize as a critical mass in our population um, that we need in order to have be able to take this subject into a wider and wider uh, realm of individuals. Um And always remember that behind the sarcasm, behind the debunking, behind uh, the mean-spiritedness that we sometimes encounter is very likely a decent person who is struggling with their own fear of the unknown and uh, doing it in a way that um, allows them to hold on to what they hope is the case rather than what may well be the case. Uh, That's not a bad thing.
1: No, it's not. We have a last question here in in the gallery. Uh, What about the problem now relating to drones and their wide availability, and how are we going to get around distinguishing between the real bona fide case and the mistaken drones?
2: Ah, great question. Um, I remember a few years back when we started to get our very first photos being posted online of drones before we really understood that they were being manufactured. And there was a fairly brief period of time when folks were saying, where are these things from? Is it possible that, you know, these rudimentary-looking metallic objects or otherwise are from there? Uh, it was very quickly realized that we now have this technology, et cetera. I think that's going to come from familiarity and education, you know, uh, they're dealing with trying to legislate around these things. There was a case in the news early this month. I'm damned if I remember in what state, but somebody had a drone up over somebody else's property and that person shot it down with a shotgun. Yeah,
1: that's right. And this
2: is the, an expensive piece of hardware. Um, they felt their um, privacy was being violated and it may well have been. Um But I think more and more we're all going to become familiar with the configurations. All of us now know that pretty standard one with four propellers, you know, in each corner. Um, But I I don't think it'll be too long before members of the general public, even it may well be the case now, um, and not, you know, specialty researchers that look at these profiles and things um, will have any trouble whatsoever of discerning a commercial or um a smaller drone for entertainment or hobbyist kind of thing and now we're supposed to be seeing ones that will be delivering mm. packages for UPS coming online in the next months i mean brave new world but that we'll be able to look at that and say yeah that's one of those things rather than one of those things that made my jaw drop and changed my life
1: yeah, me too. Uh, I couldn't mistake one for the other because what I saw was phenomenal. But uh, uh, also, I was just thinking, wh- when is somebody going to get the bright idea of uh, having a UFO drone?
2: Uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing it in the next year or two as
1: um, a <laughs> provocative
2: plaything, yeah. uh, the yeah. same way that you know, toy UFOs have been around. Um, there's going to be a market right. for it, um, and the real drones now are selling hand over fist.
1: Um, yeah, you
2: know, they they are amazing, and the footage I've seen from some of them, in fact, for um, your audience, uh, who I hope everybody will get to see, Travis the documentary. Um, yeah, uh, Jennifer had worked with um, uh, a wonderful friend of ours with a spectacular drone for aerial shots um, in Arizona, and the footage is absolutely superb. <sighs>
1: Yes, because it's a, it's an angles we really haven't seen before.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, like the first pictures when they flew over in a small didn't let anybody ever fly over Egypt, and when they did, mm. that woman took that helicopter over and took pictures of from the top of the pyramids, and then one with the pyramids yeah. in the snow with, and I loved them.
2: Yeah,
1: do you remember that?
2: Yes, it's absolutely sensational. Uh, these were things that we could only dream about a few years ago. The only way to get shots like this for well, for anybody, was to hire a small aircraft or a helicopter. You know, fifteen hundred dollars for the afternoon or what have you, as opposed to uh, an investment of a few hundred dollars, and you know, you're you're only limited by uh, uh, the technical capacities of the drone.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, it's I like them because, uh, well, I would actually, if it was over my land, I might want to shoot one. But I would like to play with one and fly with myself. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think they're fun. Yeah. I I don't hope nobody causes too much trouble with them. But
0: uh, I kind of
1: I don't know. I don't want to get into, that, into another little hobby though. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I got so <something> much to do. <laughs> okay, Pierre, I want to thank you so much for being on tonight. And, you know, you're so informative. Um, it's it's great. And uh, we've got a lot of uh, very uh, positive people saying things every time you're on. And uh, uh, you're just awesome, and we really need you. And I personally am very grateful to have you. And, uh, well, I'm so I'm, glad that we're
2: Char And I'm. Me too. I'm honored to be on your show. I'll look forward to thank returning. You. And uh, as Sonny and more. Cher used to sing, the beat goes on.
1: It sure does. And God bless you. And again, a happy new year. And uh, uh, just, just I wish you just all the blessings in the world because uh, you are doing a wonderful job. And I want to thank you for how you're helping me personally and all of us.
2: Thank you, my friend.
1: Okay. Do You take care and have a good night.
2: You, too, and a great weekend to you and all your listeners.
1: Thank you very much. Okay, Okay. bye-bye, Peter. Bye-bye. So that was my friend Peter Robbins, and he's out in beautiful uh, upstate New York, and uh, I did live there for a time when I was a kid, so I know that he's in a beautiful, fresh, it smells so good, and it's near the Hudson, so gorgeous up there. Anyway, uh, so be sure to catch his book, Deception, at the Paranormal – no, wait, the Phenomena magazine, that's for free, Deception – and Woodybridge and Woodbridge, you can get that from Amazon. And look out for Travis's true story, the true story of Travis Walton, and that's available on CDs pretty soon. You can get a hold of Peter Robbins at www.peterrobbins.com. And also you can uh, email him at Peter P. Robbins, New York at gmail.com. And uh, I just wish you all a lot of luck, and it was wonderful having him again. I want to thank all my listeners and those who are holding on to the phone line and uh, my good person holding up the fort in the chat room. Thank you so much. And uh, God bless everybody, and I really hope that your week goes really well, and I'll see you next Friday with another couple of interesting guests. We're going to be actually discussing the Illuminati. So check in next week, peoples. Okay, love you all. You take care. Bye-bye.